Welcome. Welcome to the SingVL Google Hangout, 23rd of February, 2018. Neil Singer, SingVL. Let me introduce you to everyone who's in the Hangout today. So there's me, Neil Singer. We have Dale Henry. Afternoon, everyone. We have Graham Waddell. Hello. We have Stephen Michelle from Royal Bank of Scotland. Afternoon. We have Alex Price, who's the CEO of Palmer Capital Partners, and we have Daryl Colefirst, who's the new Director of Innovation. <coughs> so remember, everybody, this is a CPD-accredited Hangout. We are also on the podcast channel, so all you need to do is to look up Singaviel on your podcast and on your way home tonight. If you want to re-listen to this Hangout, you can do so. If you're flying off skiing, you can listen to the Singaviel Hangout, and it will make the journey pass very quickly. <laughs> right. So let's start by talking about the market. Now, I thought today, we always talk about how great the market is in, the U in England, but Graham's going to give us a rundown of Scotland, I think, first of all, aren't you, Graham? I am, yeah, I'm going to tell you how great it is in Scotland on so many fronts, not just the property market, but uh, we'll come, we'll come to that shortly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's still a challenge. Um, but uh, one thing I would say is after the general election last year, a lot of Scottish agents took that as a very positive um, and irrespective of your your political views, the fact that the SNP took a bit of a battering was, was viewed as a good thing because it it certainly felt that the independence question was off the off the table for the foreseeable future. Now, whether you believe that's true or not, uh, it has resulted in more buyers coming back into the, the Scottish market. There are still many who, who are still nervous about it, but there are a lot more who, who are now coming back to Scotland. Um, and that's highlighted by the fact that the last seven sales that we have conducted in, in Scotland, six have been to buyers either from down south or, or elsewhere, certainly out with, out with Scotland. Um, why is that? Uh, I think there's a variety of reasons. I think they see investors see better returns in Scotland on like-for-like -like assets. They're probably 1% or 2% cheaper up here. Um, there's probably less competition than there is down south. Uh, uh, I think a lot of Scottish investors, for whatever reason, are not are not buying. Um, I don't know whether they just don't have the money, whether they're too close to the market. But what we're seeing is where we have a good covenant, six years, five or six years plus in the lease, then we're getting guys coming up here and, and snapping these up for, for 8%. So um, in terms of, of that side of the market, it, it's it's good. It's um, there are there are plenty of buyers out there that we get access to, obviously through the extensive Singervale database. Um, and and one of the things that's probably not quite as well known um, is that since the SNP changed the stamp duty regime in Scotland, it, it is cheaper to to buy in Scotland than it is down south. Um, you know, for example, even a half a million pound asset. The stamp duty payable is uh, almost £5,000 less in Scotland than it is in England. Um, and for a smaller private investor at that kind of level, that's a, that's a good saving. Yeah, I mean, um, there's, no, but there's no real reason, is there? Why would people not buy in Scotland? So, because it's just the, it's just the uncertainty of the, the political landscape, Neil. I think that's, that's the, the principal reason. And, you know, I guess there's just a general feeling of among some investors that they just they, they, they what they know is their own patch and they would rather not go out with um are the are the um are the um institutions buying up in scotland alex you guys are you are you guys buying up in scotland yeah we are we're, we're still buying but actually but what we find quite often when we talk to institutions is they say they're quote unquote overexposed to scotland mm -hmm. um i'm not quite sure what that really means if i'm honest um i think there's a perception that that the referendum question hasn't completely gone away, and that creates political and uh, maybe even economic uncertainty. And there's a perception that really the economic growth in the UK is driven from the southeast up, and the further away you get, the more difficult it is. So, so those are probably issues. From our side, we, we've been buying in Scotland. We've just had an investment committee this morning to buy another asset in Scotland. Um, we're a shareholder in a company called Mance, 
based in Edinburgh. We're, we're a big believer in the market. But we think, um, you know, our, our themes of demographic, technology, urbanization, they happen in Edinburgh, Glasgow, in Perth and Aberdeen as much as they happen in anywhere else. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We'll come. Okay. So the markets. So the the message is, um, don't be scared to buy in Scotland, and don't be scared to use Graham and Singerville to sell in Scotland. Not. Well, I, I, think, I, th I, I think, thought I'd mention that. I thought I'd mention that. Yeah. Get in. Well, get a plug. Just on that side of things, I mean, there is definitely a lack of stock. I mean, that's um, well, I, I'd imagine it's probably similar down south, but certainly in Scotland, there's a lack of stock for buyers. Um, so you know. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that that's driving prices, driving prices upwards because there's uh, there's not enough for people to buy and and people have got, there is a weight of money looking to invest. Um, so if you're thinking of selling, then by all means give us a shout because um, we are we are being very best, the best, the things. best, <laughs> simply the best, the best. Okay, um, Neil, back to Grant's point. Why is there? We can't work out why is there such a lack of stock. Completely agree. Uh, one of the reasons I think certainly in the kind of the kind of secondary market sub two million pounds or whatever, um, I think is because the people who have gone through the pain with the banks and um, everything that went with that have come through it. They've held these assets for a long time. They're getting a very good return, and they don't want their money sitting in the bank any more than than the guys who've got their money in the bank. So I think that. That is a big factor, and I don't really see what is going to is going to stimulate that. Um, you know, a, a quarter percent here and there in interest rates is not going to is not going to make people more distressed and, and have to sell. And I think that that is a big that is a big factor that um, people are quite happy taking their returns. And in a lot of cases where guys have owned these for a long time, you know, they'll be getting double digit returns now. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's hard. It is the market is definitely quieter, Alex. No question. I mean, we're seeing it. I mean, I don't think you can talk to anybody in the game who isn't going to give you the same answer. I my view is when markets are going up, people trade, and the market isn't actually going up. It's and there's also, of course, there's nervousness around, so people aren't taking bullish views perhaps where they might have done before. But if you're not making a profit, why sell? More often than not. You know, I think that might be the case. I mean, you guys, you know, you develop, so you're creating products, so you can, you know, you're creating product to sell, aren't you? So you're going to exit, but there's but a lot of the market just hold investments. I, I don't always go with this line that you, that what else would you do with your money? Because if, if you've got a property and you think it's going to go down in value, then you should get out of it. You know, that's my view anyway. Um, Dale. Hello. So you're going to tell us about the market. Uh, I'm going to tell you about some properties we've just started offering to the market. Um, so we've launched a couple of new sales since the last hangout, one of which is a, um, a freehold retail investment in rugby. The property is on the high street in the heart of the pedestrianised town centre and is a retail unit on ground and first floor which is entirely let to Holland and Barrett Retail Limited who have been trading from this property since 1999. Um, their lease expires 2021 and the 2016 break option was removed so that shows the, their commitment to this building. It's held off a low rebase rent of 30,000 per annum and Holland and Barrett provides a highly secure covenant. They, they're showing pre-tax profits of £113 million and shareholders funds of about £250 million. So it's an attractive lot size at 475000 which equates to 6% net initial yield. Um, we're also offering a roadside petrol station investment in Oxfordshire, uh, which fronts the busy A329 Reading Road. The property has a further 10 years unexpired lease term and the lease benefits from a guaranteed rental increase. The tenant is an established uh, petrol station operator and the property trades as a golf service station along with a Londis convenience store. And we're asking 1.15 million, which is a net initial yield of eight and a quarter percent, rising to a guaranteed 9.34 percent. Um, in addition, we've, we've got a number of new sales coming up, which we're working on. We're working on, um, these include a, an investment in Plymouth Town Centre, where the majority of the income is, is, is well secured on a long lease. 
We're also going to have a mixed-use retail and residential investment in a, in a very nice affluent southeast town. And we're working on an interesting package of ground lease investments as well. So if, if any of the, uh, the ones I've mentioned are of interest, please do get in touch with me or a member of the team and we're happy to discuss further. Okay, right. Thanks, Dale. Right. That's a quick overview. So if you want to buy anything, you know where to come. Singlevsales.com. Give us all. A, give us a call. Right. Let's talk to one of. Our, let's bring in the guests. Right, Stephen. Stephen. Oh, we can hear you, Stephen. You're muted. Yeah. There you are. Yeah, oh. I can hear you now, Stephen. Yeah. Right, Stephen. Of Royal Bank of Scotland, and I'm delighted for you that today you <clears> announced <throat> an annual profit of seven hundred and fifty-two million pounds. So yes. no doubt, end of year bonuses on their way. Uh, we live in hope, but uh, <laughs> I was busy, so I asked Ross to uh, step in and, and make that announcement. But no, um, in all seriousness, uh, a symbolic day, I guess, for RBS, because uh, as you know, it's been through quite a journey over the last uh, eight, nine, ten years. Uh, it's still largely in public ownership, um, but there have been some huge changes in the way RBS operates uh, over the last few years it's it's had some challenges um uh it's not out of the woods yet but to uh, uh to issue the results today uh with uh, news of that uh, that net profit it's a big relief and uh it's a, a very a very welcome announcement for the bank yes it's a symbolic day yeah yeah interesting actually interesting interesting they announced the day of a singing VR Google Hangout, actually. They did, you know, just to get maximum publicity. Especially coincided. Yeah, yeah, well, I did get a call last night. Um, <laughs> so can we, we've got, I've got a couple of questions for you. Anybody's got a question for um, Stephen? You, anyone watching can send a message and I can ask Stephen, I'll get the message up on my screen. But let me get the, the ball rolling. I've got a couple of questions. My first question is, what do you think of the changing nature of banking? Um, that's a good question, and um, I preface it slightly that I'll, I'll answer it from the perspective of a, a person who works in a bank. But as you know, Neil, I'm a, I'm a surveyor, I work in the restructuring division. Um, so I'll give you kind of my, my, my view, my perspective as an as a, uh, employee of, of RBS um, and also as a, as a customer, as a consumer. Um, I, I group the changes, I guess, into three or four different areas. The, the first one really, I think, is 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 more of a psych perhaps a psychological one it's the it's the changing uh nature of customers behavior um and that's been changing for, for the last few years um we see customers um i think customers becoming much more savvy about uh what uh, uh what products and what services are out there they're much more savvy about the technology and the way that facilitates what they want um and uh I guess that means that the, the banks, all banks, uh, including RBS, of course, um, have to demonstrate the agility to, to change and to keep up to, to provide that service uh, and the products that customers need. If, if they don't, then you know, a bank is only going to go one way. Uh, RBS has been investing huge amounts in, in the, making the customer journey much more, uh, much more satisfying. Um, especially in areas of, of technology. But that's, a, that's an important change, I think, for, for all players in the banking sector. Uh, the other one is, I mean, technology itself is, is, has made a huge change to the way banks operate, all, all, uh, all, all players in the banking sector. Um, it, this, this really does affect the way we do our, our everyday banking, whether we're popping down to, to uh, the, the coffee shop and buying a coffee and using contactless or using our mobile phones, using the app, or whether it's it's getting a a mortgage application in and, and and the streamlined process or a loan and the 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 extent of the automation, so that's that's have a had a massive change in the way that both banks uh, provide the services and the way that consumers take them up. So I think that's a, that's a, a key change. Um, and you think how you know, not that many years ago the idea of doing all your your banking on a mobile app. Uh, you know, you don't have to go very uh, that many years ago. We were actually sort of either wandering to a branch or doing it over the internet or, or doing it over the telephone, over the landline. Yeah, so the, the amount of banking that gets done through the digital platforms has, has made a tremendous, uh, tremendous difference to the way banks operate. Um, the third one, I guess, is the, the, the amount of competition is, is, is a huge change in that. So if you go back a few years, 
Um, there were the, obviously the legacy banks, the, the, the high street banks, um, and then you've got the challenger banks that came along. And more recently, you've had the, uh, the fintech sector, starting obviously from almost nothing, but uh, grown hugely, albeit from a very small base. Um, but that is a sector that really seems to be punching above its weight. And I think um, it's sort of laying down the challenge to the, uh, to the legacy banks, to the, to, uh, the high street banks. And uh, if the high street banks aren't responding to that, then that's going to be a real issue. So I think that's something that, that's completely changed the, the playing field with more entrants coming in and uh, technology enabling them to, to enter that, uh, that sector with, with much lower uh, yeah. startup costs. The, the last one, I guess, is, is the open banking. Um, I don't know whether you call it a revolution. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert on how open banking is going to pan out. I don't, I'm not sure uh, anything. Is. What's open banking? Open banking is a, it's a, okay, I'm not an expert, but from what I know, it's a, it's a, it's a European directive that's been around for a while. And it, it uh, places an obligation on all, uh, all banks to effectively open up their customer's database to any registered third-party bank in the UK. I'm, I'm not sure how it works in Europe. I, I imagine much the same. But from this year, it's, it's kind of rolling out as we speak. Um, so uh, the, the banks have to open their databases to any new or any other third-party provider and also their transaction systems subject to the customer's consent. So if the customer says, yes, I'm happy with that, all their data and all, all, the, all, all the stuff that goes to banking um, is accessible to any new player, any other, any other entrance, which means that <coughs> the, 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 the way banking uh, operates will, will change because um, it's likely to be, or for those people that elect to do this, for those customers that want to do this, um, banking will be much more of a kind of, um, uh, sort of, it'd be more granular, it'd be, be more modular, and customers can pick and choose, and it's likely to then end up with some, um, I think they call aggregators and platforms, which could be one of the sort of big global internet outfits, uh, and Amazon or Apple, whatever. So you'll, you'll have on one platform the different suppliers, different providers, different lenders, different banks, and you can pick and choose. So I think that, that um, it, it, it will sharpen all the banks up in that you know there's no uh, room for any complacency because the competition will be so great and i think <clears throat> i think it's inevitable that that old-fashioned loyalty uh will be uh it's, it's, it's much much less uh, of an impact on on how how customers think it'd be more about you know what's the level of service and uh what's the flexibility i get with with this new banking interesting okay yeah, interesting. Has anybody got any? I've got another question. Has anybody got any comments or questions they want to add? Anyone? No, I was just going to say, um, I think, to the point that Steve was making, that's all um, absolutely correct. And actually, the way in which he has articulated um, the effects of open banking um, is, is very much correct. Um, you, you're going to find, as, as time goes on, um, as everything starts to open up, is that disintermediation uh, so that customers actually have more choice, they have more ability, um, and the banks themselves are going to have to really change the way in which they provide their services to their customers so that they can continue to keep themselves front of face um, with, with, well, with, with their customers, really. Um, I would add, although Daryl joined us uh, a month ago from Amex, so that's why he's got a knowledge, I guess, of the services. Amex, really? Yeah. Uh Okay, well, I can, can I, let me show you, some, I, I'd like to mention something on the banking side, which I've, I've come across recently. Has anybody come across this business, Revolut? Anyone come across this? Yeah. Who said yes? Ah, you see, exactly. Okay, so for guys, for people who don't know, Re Revolut is an app, actually. It's, it's, a, it's an app that you can have on your phone. You can transfer money into any currency you like. So if you're abroad, you can transfer at the spot rate into say if you know euros or i need to said francs but that shows they've not been around for a while euros or rand or wherever you are at the spot rate so it reduces all the banking charges and it's instantaneous and the second thing is for people who want to pay on their phone using apple pay or using this as a as a pay card 
all your transactions are recorded on an app. So, and I understand that youngsters are using this sort of system actually as their bank account now. So they're not even going to banks. So it's actually very interesting how you were saying, Steve, how the banking world is changing, the more entrance. It, it's, it, this is a great example of how someone, I'd never heard of Revolut until a few weeks ago. I've just got the card. It's fantastic. I think it's great. I think it's going to affect the banks enormously. They have, they'll have to change what they're doing. And, and that's not the only uh, new player on the block. So uh, you've got the uh, you know, new accounts uh, like Monzo, which I think only yeah. had a banking license last year. Um, and, uh, you know, very, very small organization, but very, you know, very lean, but they offer a great service. It's very user friendly, uh, especially sort of younger people. They, they, they love the way it works. They love the, the sort of analytical side that it will it will uh, report immediately on, on what you're spending your money on and how you're spending it. Um, it's got a bright orange card. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a competitor, you know, and uh, unless um, everyone can, can recognize and acknowledge the way that the uh, banking landscape is, is changing and will continue to change, then uh, they'll fall behind. And, uh, you know, RBS certainly is, is having to adapt and, you know, investing a huge amount in, in, in its digital platforms and and uh, uh, and, and training staff, uh, introducing new skills, etc. So it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting time. Yeah, I mean, I and in fact, it just shows you that how technology is changing everything. I know I know everyone says it, and it's now a bit of a cliche, but everyone is saying it. But for banking is changing, property is changing. So it's, but I think it's quite exciting, and and companies that you that are huge now maybe they're really not going to be very huge in the future in fact um alex i'm going to ask alex on that note it's interesting that you recently hired daryl as a direct uh, correct correct me if i get this correct you're director of innovation is that right is that your title yes that's correct. so what is that and you're right now alex you're a fund manager and a developer and a you're a um i sort of always think of you as sort of a venture capitalist type business so why did you decide to go and hire a director of innovation because it's quite interesting about the way into i think in the way the world's going yeah i mean i think back to stephen's point what's happening is is the world we live in is changing and the way people for example bank is a much more customer centric experience the way people use technology is changing the way that they that their habits the way that they live the way that they um, create expectations for, for, for when they purchase or when they when they get a service so to us, we suddenly thought, hang on, if it's happening in every other industry, the chances of the real estate or the property industry being left behind and being allowed to plough on through the dark ages is pretty slim. So either we need to re-engineer and reskill our business, or we're going to get left behind by new entrants coming in, disrupting what we've done. We then spent a long time looking around the property world, trying to find somebody who we thought actually would be able to do it from within the industry. And what we found is there's lots of people who've got great ideas, lots of strategy style people, um, but there's very few technical people who really understand about re-engineering your business to make it fit for the future. We then looked outside of property and, and, and came across Daryl, which was a, you know, a fantastic fit um, for us. It's, as I said to him the other day, it's early days, so who knows? But, but we're, we're learning already, and unless we challenge ourselves from skills that we don't have and we can't even comprehend, we won't be able to change and if we don't change, then we won't pass through that gate. The way I describe this internally is there's a gate coming at some point where, for example, machine learning becomes more important. And unless you've digitized your data, you can't get through that gate. There's also a gate coming where our customers are no longer buying in a B2B way. They're expecting a proper customer service. They're expecting us to look after them rather than treat them as, as, as uh, tenants. And that's both the people who occupy our buildings and the investors whose money we manage. So we're trying to change ourselves. We're trying to get fit for purpose for the future. That's not an easy journey. And we brought Daryl in because we need, we need to help people help us push through that change. Yeah, well, I've had, I've been um, trying to get to that. Get, we, we've been going through that gate for a while. A lot of people, as you know, Alex, um, seem to be at the other end of the field still. And, but I think there's a realization. I, someone I spoke to just this week mentioned to me that what's happening now, and this is quite an interesting move, is that some of the big consultancies are looking to provide prop tech advice to their clients. I don't know if you've had any, any contact like that. 
but it's quite an interesting it's a yeah, like kpmgs of this world it's quite interesting because but they're not property people so where should that consultancy advice come from yeah so we we have had kpmg being one of them but a number of other consultancies offer a range of strategic handholding all the way through to project delivery and implementation of business process re-engineering. The, the problem with that is, if you think this is just a transitory phase and it's not that important, then bring a consultant in, they'll do the job, you'll pay them, they'll move on to the next consultant, uh, to the next client and, and off you go. I, I don't think this is a transitory phase. I suspect this is at the heart of what we need to do in the future. So to us, giving all of our IP to a consultant, having them two ships in the night pass by, you know, brush off some information to us and move on with our IP to the next client wasn't going to be good for us and probably wasn't good for us from a competitive point of view. Hmm. Okay. So, and how do you, you've mentioned that you've, you know, you're adopting a very technology driven approach and how do you think it's going to affect you as landlords? So I think the, there are, and I mentioned them, I think there's two big changes. One is we need to become more customer focused. And that means we need to be um, creating and managing buildings of choice for the corporate tenants, our customers who pay us rent. But that's going away from the traditional 15-year lease. You shake hands firmly at the beginning of the lease and you say, give me a call in 14 years' time and you know what you want to do. So today, lease lengths are declining and the biggest take-up by any one sector is the serviced office sector. So we have to become more customer-centric. That's the first point. The second point is to be customer-centric, you need to understand your customers. And you only understand them if you've got data about what they're doing and what, what you need to do to, 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 to deliver performance. So the second part of our, of our drive is to improve data. And actually, it comes first, because unless you've got the data in your business about what, you, what you're doing, how your customers are doing, how your buildings are performing, and you've got data in your business about why you're making decisions and are those the right decisions, then I think you're going to get left behind quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's future-proofing your business is the key at the moment. I mean, I would say I've mentioned this to people before. I would say that when I've been in the tech scene, really, I suppose for ten years, two years ago, the wave started to grow. It's just getting bigger and bigger. The speed at which the tech wave is coming into the property industry is 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 huge. The last six months, the difference has been quite phenomenal. I mean, we've got involved in blockchain, as you know, and that the interest level has escalated hugely. Twelve months ago, no one had heard of it, and now everyone's talking about it. The funny thing is, everyone every time you mention blockchain, they automatically mention cryptocurrency. And in fact, someone said to me only this week, I was talking to a client who was moaning about his son, who said, you never guess what my son's spending his whole life doing. I said, I know exactly what he's doing. He's trading crypto. He said, that's exactly right. And that's what people, are, that's what the world's going. But I've, I've changed my view about cryptocurrency, actually. Who, has anyone got a view about crypto and Bitcoins and where it's going? No? Yes? So I've, I've got views. Come on, you can be open. Um, so I think um, we are still at that kind of stage where it's extremely volatile. And I think everyone knows that. Um, and there are lots of, well, there are thousands of... Um, of cryptocurrencies that are out there present. I think it's gonna get to a point, um, the only way where I see it becoming something that is a standard um, is when the actual experience of being able to use it, um, both offline and online, becomes easier. At the moment, I don't know if anyone's ever bought any, um, but when the new cryptocurrencies come online, you need a fair amount of technical knowledge to kind of go, go about the process of identifying the exchanges that you need to buy them from, and then where to put them, you need to have the appropriate wallets. And we're still in that phase where there's lots of, um, there are a lot of hacks happening um, on yeah. each of the different spaces. So I think once all that settles down and it, it gets to a point where you can almost deal with it in the same way that you do with fiat today, that's when you'll start to see it normalize and become um, something that everyone is everyone is using. I mean, and even to that point, um, if it gets so i haven't been i know you're talking about bank if i haven't been in a bank a physical bank for i don't know four or five years now um and i don't carry on cash um, and everything i do is um through android pay apple pay um doing all my online banking and i think when it gets to the point where you can 
transacts in that same way, then you know, crypto comes, cryptocurrency will come in, into its own and you'll see a massive shift. So you think, you think cryptocurrency is actually going to become the norm? So whether cryptocurrency becomes the norm or whether or not um, there is something else that comes out um, that allows you to be able to use blockchain in an easier, more customer-centric um, customer way, um, and that journey is, is fairly easy to be able to transact. So you see some of the new companies coming up now, like Ripple, um, you know, where they're allowing you to do overseas. Um, banks are able to use uh, the, 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 um, their ledgers to be able to make overseas transactions fairly easily. I think that's where you'll start to see, um, that's where you'll start to see most of that uh, behavior coming through. And that's where you'll see that becoming the norm. But until that point where um, blockchain is just it's just as simple as making any other transaction. Um, the crypto countries become less volatile um, and it's easier to kind of adopt them and use them in certain places than, than absolutely. I, I see it's the way to go. But I, Neil, I think, and this is probably a question for Stephen. Uh, to my mind, cryptocurrencies, uh, the biggest effect they're going to have is to stop fiat currencies, i.e., you know, the pound, dollar, et cetera, from being in circulation because cryptocurrencies are so much easier to use. But government use currency as a massive tool for running their economies as well as their countries. So what happens when you can't quantitatively ease Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever the, the mm -hmm. cryptocurrency is? Because yep. you can't. The governments don't control them. They're controlled by by, by the, the, the broader sense of the market. I don't know. It's yeah. just, what are RBS doing about this? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I generally don't know. I mean, you know, all, all I know is what I read in the papers. Uh, and and uh, I think Neil is our, our resident uh, expert on cryptocurrencies. I think it's interesting... Uh, as Daryl was saying, this, this, uh, the, the, there's, there's some aspects of the cryptocurrency and, and certainly Bitcoins and blockchains that don't work particularly well. But the fact that they're not working particularly well, I think that's something that, that will resolve itself over the next, you know, over some time period. I don't know how long that time period is. Now, whether uh, blockchain and Bitcoins is, is the one that comes out and emerges at the other end as, 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 as the digital currency of choice, as the cryptocurrency of choice. I don't know. Um, I know some, uh, some sovereign banks, some national banks are talking about cryptocurrencies. I think uh, Sweden, or there's a, I think one of the Scandinavian countries, is talking about having uh, their own version of a digital currency, and I think they're ahead of the curve on that. So I think it's about um, acceptance of the currency and the extent to which or, and, and the degree of that acceptance will then dictate the extent to which uh, it's then you know, becomes more usable and potentially replaces many aspects of, 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 of traditional currencies. I don't know where RBS is on on, on that though. Okay, shall I give you my? Can I give you a view? Uh, I would have said to you 12 months ago that I thought cryptocurrency was going to be the norm. I don't think so anymore, for two reasons. First of all, there's no way the governments are going to allow it to bypass their control on their economies. And Alex, I've had exactly the same thought as you about how do you manage your economy if the currency is actually being controlled by, well, there's no control. The whole point about blockchain and bitcoins is there's, there's no one controlling it. It's just, there's just no way the government's going to allow that to happen. So I think that's going to stop it, it becoming the norm, actually. The second thing is you've got to think about what, what its actually its use really is, cryptocurrency. The idea of it is that it creates a secure ownership, which is recorded in the blockchain ledger. But I think that the banks will start just increasing their database securities anyway. So I'm not quite sure what the act, the true use of a cryptocurrency is going to be going forward. Actually, I think that there was a massive drive, which I was quite interested in actually. For example, relating to initial coin offerings. And for those of you who don't know, an initial coin offering is a way that you tokenize a business, which is based upon based upon um, a blockchain ledger. And the idea of tokenizing is that when you have a, own a token in a business or a, a payment, a, a way of qu quantifying payment for a, a use of a um, a service. You've created a currency in your own business, and you can and it becomes a tradable asset for using that particular service. That's one idea of a of a tokenizing, and the idea of being on a blockchain ledger it means that you've got absolute proof of ownership. But if the banks create their own blockchain ledgers, which and blockchain is really a very secure database system, 
then why do you, why are you going to need cryptocurrencies? So, I, 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 I'm not sure that they're going to be required. And, and I, so again, I'm not as deep and knowledgeable as you are, Neil, on this, but my sense is, is Bitcoin and everything else is a speculation bubble. Blockchain is, is the transformational thing. I, the technology around how you secure and store data is the really interesting part, not, not whether it's Ethereum, Bitcoin or whatever. And coming back to that, what's going to happen in real estate is, is as you're doing, Blockchain will eventually become the norm for storing data on transactions that have happened. And suddenly the, the wheel won't be reinvented by the professional services industry every time you transact something because it's already saved there. All we've got to do is update the information that's in the blockchain. So actually, as a technology, if it grows, it could really change the way we operate. And that's in, in, in real estate, but everywhere. Um, whereas I see Bitcoins or anything else as, as a slight flash in the plan that, that might take over but probably won't. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. A lot of people don't really understand blockchain. Um, it, do, it does take time to get your head around it, but it is actually very interesting, I have to say. Are you doing anything, have you got any plans to use blockchain, which is of course my favorite subject? Uh, not yet. Um, our, our plans, first of all, is working with Daryl is to sort our own SH1T out and to work out where our data sits and how we use our data and how we access other people's data. Um, I was trying to work out, do you know what? I was trying to work out what, that, what you meant by that. I was thinking, oh, I haven't heard of that technical term before. <laughs> You're right, you know, you? I was trying to work it out, what is that? <laughs> yes, okay, I didn't know you had any of that though, Alex. I thought, you know, it was such a smooth business. But it's interesting that you're thinking about it, isn't it? You're thinking about it. And I've been, I, I just, I think it's changing things. I think it's happening so much quicker than people realize. Um, well, maybe they are beginning to realize now. Um, so that was my, has anyone got any more questions for Alex and Daryl? Yeah, I, I was going to ask Alex. Hi, Alex. Um, which, which sort of you just touched on, really, because I know Palmer Capital's always been a very active investor in other, in other businesses. And and I know you work in partnership with several other sort of property companies. But given that we're sort of we're all here sitting saying that the way PropTech we expect is going to tr sort of transform our industry, um, do you guys or have you thought about investing in PropTech businesses? Or yeah. So we we got um, beyond the eleventh hour and fifty ninth minute last year, investing into one of the sort of businesses that puts data together in a, in a geospatial way that allows you to see what's happening in properties, um, plotting all the land registry information, all the flood information, et cetera. And then the last minute that they decided the valuation we were coming in at was low and that they, it was probably going to be three or four times higher. And we just said, thanks very much, but no thanks. And as a general comment on prop tech, um, there's probably not so much tech in prop tech across mo much of the companies we've looked at. Um, and secondly, there's more demand than supply. So what's actually happening is that people haven't got the skills in-house. So they're saying, let's buy into a prop tech company and see what happens. And because they don't really understand what they're buying into, they're prepared to believe the bullshit that they're getting. Um, okay. And so they're buying into these companies. We got very close. Actually, we then changed our mind and said, do you know what? Let's get Daryl on board and let's work out how complicated this really is. And secondly, are we better to do it it, rather than buying, a, as we've done, we own a third of, of eight property development companies. Should we own a third of XYZ company? Or are we better, do you know what, just to say to Daryl, let's go build this capability in-house because it's going to be transformational to what we're doing. It's going to be the core of what we do. And then we can decide what we do with those skills later. And that's, that's a change that's happened in the last quarter as I've become increasingly nervous about the, the prop tech being... Uh, you know, I could call it a bubble. Daryl calls it a ripple. It's kind of all much the same thing. Um, yeah, I, I, being someone who, I suppose, is involved in prop tech, I think you're quite right. Actually, there's there's a lot of there's actually very few prop tech solutions out there. Is what I when I go to these shows, there's a lot of people talking, and actually a lot of the stuff that they're talking about is a isn't of value anyway. No one wants it. It's just people are coming up with ideas to flog solutions to the industry when there isn't really a problem. I think that's half of that's half the issue with prop tech. However, there's definitely a huge investment going in now. They're, the large firms 
are investing massively. I, I think it puts the small businesses at huge risk. I think small agencies who are who obviously can see that technology is going to change the way they operate don't seem to be doing anything about it. And I find that quite bizarre. I'm not sure it's because they don't want to invest the money they've made on you know, trading in the last few years or they're scared or they don't know which way direction to go or they think it's not going to affect them. But there's certainly a sort of a head in the sand approach as far as I can see when it comes to um, prop tech. And it has actually driven our business. And we didn't actually go into it because we wanted to change the world. We just sort of got naturally moved into it because we saw the opportunities. If I would say the one thing, and I think back, the thing that changed the agency was we put, we created a website many years ago, long before websites even existed. And we put Google Analytics behind the website. And I was amazed to see where in the world people were hitting our website from. And that's really what opened our eyes to the reach of online and where tech was going. So we sort of fell into it really and we reacted. So I think, but I think PropTech is changing all our businesses enormously. Um, so I was going to actually ask everybody what's their view on the current PropTech market, but you've already answered it. And your view on agency? Who's got a view on agency? Steve, you've used some great agencies in the last year, haven't you? That sounds like a planty question. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain, Neil, and remember who we've used. Uh, um, we, uh, I, I don't actually, in my role, uh, use agents very often. Um, but uh, we did have um, we did have a property owning subsidiary, um, and we used various agents, including uh, your good selves. Um, they they all come with good and bad points. Um, I think that uh, the traditional agency role is perhaps being that that's evolving that's changing in light of um what you guys offer at singer vl and one or two of the of the of, of the internet-based um uh agents are offering both in the residential sector and the commercial sector i think that's a that's a really good thing um it just means that uh the the, the technology is being used in a, in a sensible way for the customer um and it can be tailored in the case of something that we had and where we use you, we use yourselves as sort of as an underpin on a transaction. It, it meant that we were able to uh, talk to the buyer of, of the asset with the reassurance that we had you guys in the background. And I think you were able to, you know, having done all the sort of preparatory work, you were able to get going within, I think you said within half an hour or 10 minutes or something of us, pre of us pressing yeah. the button. And that, I would say 30 seconds. Actually. 30 seconds. Um, but that, that had a, uh, a real, uh, that, that was a, a, a real bit of added value for us in the sales process because, as we know, you know, um, negotiations can go over a long time, but sometimes you get a sort of a, 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 late, uh, a late chip or there's some sort of problem. But if you've got a, a sort of plan B, in this case, uh, you guys were our plan B, uh, it, it, it just helped the momentum of the transaction and uh, that paid dividends, yes. Hmm. That's a nice plug, thank you. Very nice, very unexpected. It worked, it worked, it worked well for us, so um, yes, but I think, I think uh, agency is changing. I think if you talk to any of the, the sort of usual suspects, they would, they would say that they're, they're thinking carefully about their modus operandi, for sure. So Graham, can I bring you in? Because, no. um, of course, you came on board with us a few years back, and it and you'll become the tech man in Scotland. I would say now. Oh, all the fashion, but I mean, just listening to all this chat about, I just think as an industry, property is is lagging way behind in terms of embracing technology and, and everything that it, that that can be used for, and uh, it, it never ceases to surprise me that. Um, that more companies aren't using technology. I mean, we're using technology, but we're, we're a wee bit scratching the surface, Neil. But we, what we do is works well. But it's, it's it still surprises me that that the bigger firms and and just property agents in general are are still not embracing what's what's available to them. I have to say. Well, there is a view actually that what they offer will change. Agents will not operate the same way and they'll just be offering a different service um that's partly my view so alex here you're a you misuse the odd agent 
Yeah, we, we buy, we, last year we bought and sold about 300 million quid's worth of, of UK real estate. Um, about 60% of that investment and about 40% of that land or, or, or development opportunities. Um, my, my general view on, on agency is that there's going to be a sort of split. And at the smaller end, there's going to be, and by that I mean, that's by value, you know, three, four, five million pound house, uh, a smaller commercial asset. I think people, there'll be, all firms will need to be more like, like you are as a business in terms of providing a relatively low cost, efficient tech-led solution to buyers and sellers who may never want to meet the agent, don't need the tactile solution bit. They just want to transact with the lowest frictional cost. And that's frictional cost of money, time, effort, engagement, et cetera. Um, and, and so I think there's a, there's a role there for you guys. And I think blockchain's part of that. I think your click to purchase idea is a part of that as well. But then for the sort of bulk of the market by value, um, I suspect those agents, unless they change their, their, their shape, are going to be out of business quite quickly. Because the main role that the agents have done to us traditionally is to introduce deal flow to us, to then provide market information as to whether that's worth it, whether it's more expensive, less expensive, and to give us a view as to what it's going to be worth at the end. Um, what we've worked out quite quickly, and with Daryl on board, we're working out even quicker, is that all the data that we're provided by the agents we can access directly. Yeah. And you look at Project Radius, which EGI are doing, CoStar previously, all of that transactional data for all the big agents is now available centrally. And secondly, the introductions. Well, actually, actually, I can now go to DealFlow at CBRE's website. I can go to all these other places, and soon they'll all be aggregated as well to tell me everything that's on the market. And using our own tools, we're thinking about how we source things that are not on the market using data. So I'm pretty sure that the agents are going to have to become much more than just brokers at the bigger end of the market if they want to survive. And we'll probably find that they are competing with us as investment managers. So they'll need to be providing debt packaging, tax advice, legal structuring advice, business planning advice, asset management going forward. And, and I could see effectively the investment management and the agency market at the bigger end merging to justify margin. Otherwise, you know, what, why do you want a broker for? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I mean, I'm an, I am an agent, but I remember years ago. In fact, I think my friends watching us, my friend Stuart Jenkin, I did a deal with Stuart going back 20, 20 years ago where I got a fax from some bloke in Manchester and I happened to be on the phone to Stuart and I, off, I mentioned this building in Manchester for over 20 million pounds and he didn't know about it and he bought it and I, my file was about that thin. And I got a very nice fee for delivering some information which she didn't know about. Today, you just can't do it. And yet, agents carry on operating in the way I was operating 20 years ago. And I, I don't get it myself. I almost feel embarrassed. How can, you, how can I phone you up and say, oh, Alex, here's a building for £20 million. Can I have 200 grand, please? It, doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. I know agents don't like me to say that, and fellow agents, but it is the truth. And that's why I think the sooner people sort of wake up, the better. I think the big firms, I agree with you. I think there's a lot going on in some of the big firms, actually. I think the the issue is that the CEOs and the COOs are only too well aware of the change that's needed. But the reality is the big bucks comes in from the star agents and they do the big glory deals. And it's going to take time for that to change. They, they're not going to... They're not going to roll over quickly. I don't blame them. You know. you know, if you go back to the conversation where we started, where, where Stephen said, you know, look, go back 10 years and uh, no one used online banking. Daryl's comment, he hasn't been into a bank for four years. That, that industry has changed. And what, what I think will happen in the property world is the middle-aged farts like myself will, will, will evolve through the system and will be forced to retire. And the, a younger generation who've been brought up with higher expectations of what data and technology can deliver will be saying this this isn't working. So I think it will change and it will change very, very quickly once people start to, to adopt it and once the sort of the dam breaks, then everybody's gonna say, why can't I use that data? You know, we, we can tell, not with certainty, but I could probably guess 75% of the buyers for any building that we're gonna sell if it's above a certain lot size, you know, 50 million up. And then I can do that because I can look to all the people who bid on the last building and they're probably still there. I can't do then that at the two million pound lot size because that level could be anybody from anywhere coming in for any reason. So, so I think so. That's why I think there's going to be a split. The bottom end technology, there's a role for agency. At the top end, I think it's it's got to change. <laughs> to 
send a message from Stuart. I would still pay you a fee. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> That's very kind. I better find you a building. <laughs> okay. Well, look, we've been on for nearly two, nearly an hour, nearly an hour, and um, I think it's been very interesting. So I just want to thank you. I've got. A, okay. So first of all, before I forget. We always put a question in the Hangout. So when people write to us and they get their CPD certificate, there's a question that they have to tell us in order to justify they've been watching us. So, Steve, you've got the question for us today, haven't you? This is a first, a first for Singville. Steve, what's your question? The question is, uh, what is the name of my dog? Yes. <laughs> which is? Which is Dibley, as in Vicar of. Great. Oh, that's that's a great question. Right now, you know, I've got... I guess you better explain why I asked that question. Well, yes, because when you when people ask for the CPD certificate, they're going to all going to say Dibley, and they say Dibley, they get their CPD certificate just to make sure they're not just watching for five seconds and then they get a certificate. That no one, everyone's got to be honest. I've got a question. I've got one question for you, Alex, before we sort of round off. Now, who is your most famous investor? Uh, her, yeah, Her Majesty the Queen, I guess. Why? Can I just stand up when you say that, please? Sorry. Let's stand up. Yes, I'm glad you said that because that leads me on to my next question to you. Have you seen The Crown? Uh, as in the TV program or the yes. real deal? Oh, uh, well, both, really. Uh, the answer is neither, although I have met the Queen twice. Have you? I wasn't wearing a crown on either occasion. Well,. I can highly recommend The Crown as a series, and I'm not getting paid for it. Do you know what? Actually, what we should now do, guys, is we should get paid for plugging things. Yeah, the, the Crown is very good, so I can highly recommend that. So, guys, I think that's it. On for just under an... Oh! I've got a question. Oh, yes. Sorry. I've got Graham, a question. Sorry. Who's, who's going to win tomorrow? I think Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening tomorrow? Oh, I love it. I love it. He's... He's in a different world, Neil, isn't he? Just no, no football tomorrow, is there? I'm really... You know what? I'm really, what you're talking about. What are you talking about? This is what I have to work with. Is it rugby? Is it rugby? It's rugby, yeah. Oh, rugby, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, who's it? England, what? England, Scotland? Yeah. Or Scotland, England. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, there's one last thing I need to mention. Uh, who's going to MIP him? We're going. Alex, guy, you guys going? Uh, we've got about four people down there, but I'm, uh, neither, neither of us are allowed out of the office. Oh, uh, well. Okay. Well, we're being miffed. If anybody wants to wants advice on the best way to sell a property, give us a call. We'll be down there, and we'll be delighted to have a chat with you to see if we can help you. So, I think that's it. Thank you very much, everybody. Steve, thank yeah, you. Thank, thank, thank you, you very much. Great Good having pleasure. you. Thank you for coordinating with Graham in terms of your shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl <laughs> and Alex, thank you very much. That's very interesting. So that's goodbye from Dale as well. Bye, goodbye from Graham. Seeing everyone else up north. Goodbye from me. You can wave if you want. Everyone say goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much, guys. If anybody wants to remember, you can listen on our podcast on the way home. You can listen, you can download and listen to the Google Hangout on YouTube. You can get us anywhere. Thank you very much, and all have a good weekend. Cheers. Bye now. Bye.